You are listening to The Dan Patrick Show on Fox Sports Radio. Final hour on this Wednesday. Dan and the Danettes, Dan Patrick Show. Adrian Wojnarowski on loan from the Mothership will join us in about 15 minutes. Basketball's coming back, but we have to wait a little less than two months. Hockey's coming back. Golf coming back. NFL. College football. Looks like it's full speed ahead. Sports fans across the country are watching closely. Not just games. We're waiting for the games. Those are on pause for the most part. But they're watching their teams and players to see how they react to what's happening in the world. Certainly here in the United States. And there are no easy answers on the right response. A hollow and scripted statement means little. Total silence has been disappointing to fans and the players of those teams. There's an argument that professional teams aren't in the business of making statements on social justice. And maybe that's true most of the time, but this week it's different. This week, the nation, all eyes are on Minnesota. Decent people on both sides of the aisle are appalled at the murder of George Floyd. And when you're in the sports business, especially one with a predominantly African-American employee base, it's an exceptional time. One, hopefully, that spurs not just statements from both teams, players, and frankly, all of us, but actions to make our country a better place. And for me, it starts with myself, how I view the world, how I participate, how I try to be one of service to other people. And, you know, it may sound hollow. You can be sincere and something can sound hollow. I hope it's not, but it's a time to learn. And I think we're all learning in real time. And look, I look at James Dolan and the Knicks owner, and he had an internal memo that went out that was leaked. And he didn't really come out in a forceful way saying something about, you know, what happened in Minnesota, Minneapolis. And I just wondered about his own players when they find out about what he has said in an internal memo of basically... That's not our job. Our job is to be good people inside the organization. And James Dolan has had, you know, African-Americans as a GM or president or head coach. But he had a statement that sounded hollow. There are other teams that have done the same. The NFL had a hollow statement about George Floyd and a follow up with Colin Kaepernick. Hollow statements. What can you say? How can you say it? What's enough to say? And it really depends. It's almost like it's minute to minute, hour by hour, day to day. Vic Fangio is the head coach of the Denver Broncos, and he did a video conference yesterday, and it took a long time for Vic Fangio to finally become a head coach in the NFL. He's a white head coach. I don't know how many years he was an assistant, but he's 61 years of age, and he's only been a head coach in the NFL a couple of years. I think this is his second or third year as a head coach. It took him a long time to move up the ladder to become the head coach of the Denver Broncos. First head coaching John, and he had this to say yesterday. I think our problems in the NFL along those lines are minimal. We're a league of uh, meritocracy. You earn what you get. You get what you earn. I don't see um, racism at all in the NFL. I don't see discrimination in the NFL. You know, we live in a great atmosphere, like I alluded to earlier. We're lucky. We, we all live together, joined as one for one common goal, and we all intermingle and mix tremendously. You know, if society reflected an NFL team, we'd all be great. 
Okay, you start to pick apart what his statement is. Now, that's his experience. It's his experience, which doesn't mean it's wrong. Now, he could lack social awareness here because he does know what just happened a couple of weeks ago where the NFL was trying to incentivize teams to bring in minorities, African-American coaches, and you would get a better draft pick. There is racism. In his world and how he sees it, he may not see it. He hasn't experienced it, but it is there. I don't like to take apart everybody's statement here. Vic Fangio, I don't know him, but if that's his interpretation of this, and he did wait a long time to be a head coach in the NFL. And I don't know if maybe some of his players will say, you know what, coach, you need to look at this or be aware of this. There's a lot of people who lack self-awareness. And Vic Fangio may just be guilty of lacking self-awareness. I don't know who he grew up with. I don't know where he grew up. But he's saying, hey, you know what? This is, this is a meritocracy. Okay. He finally got that opportunity. And at age 61, a head coach in the NFL. There are other teams or owners that maybe you could call out because they should have some kind of awareness there. I also saw where Mike Florio certainly stirring it up. Mike Florio from Pro Football Talk said, you know, come to think of it, now may be the time that we change the Washington Redskins name. Redskins had a tweet yesterday that felt hollow to people. Florio says, as the NFL and its teams look for a way to transform words into actions, a simple, easy, and clear path to change for professional football would come from an immediate change to the name of the Washington franchise. That team that is named for the nation's capital at a time when the nation's capital has become one of the flashpoints for protest should acknowledge that the franchise's nickname is a textbook racial slur, that it genuinely offends enough Native Americans to make the name unacceptable, and that, should, that it should change. If it wasn't already obvious, it should be given the reaction to the franchise's failed effort to embrace hashtag blackout. Tuesday. I don't know if that's happening anytime soon. I thought, and I had it on good authority, if Washington, that franchise was going to move back into the city and Daniel Snyder was getting a new stadium, part of that negotiation would be the NFL was going to ask him, change the nickname of the Washington Redskins. Now, it never happened, but I was told that years ago, Part of that process, negotiations, would be, we're going to be open to it, but understand, we want you to change the nickname of the Washington Redskins. I don't know if Daniel Snyder, I don't even know where they stand on moving back into the city. I haven't heard anything, but that was part of the negotiations from what I heard. 877-3DP-SHOW, email address dp at danpatrick.com, Twitter handle at show. We'll talk to uh, Woj coming up. Uh, Daryl Morey, of course, had the comments about Hong Kong in the preseason. Boy, doesn't it seem like such a long time ago? Where Daryl Morey, even though he's the Houston Rockets GM, was speaking about what was going on in Hong Kong. And the owner, Tillman Fertitta, basically came out at the time and said, 
hey, Daryl Morey does not speak for us. Now, Tillman Fertitta, for his comments on Daryl Morey yesterday, saying the reaction to China was disappointing, it's funny that he should say he was disappointed by the reaction to Morey's statement because he was one of those people who got upset of Morey's decision. But he, uh, you know, it's just, it's open fire right now. And what you say, how somebody takes it, um, leagues, commissioners, owners, players, media, it's volatile. And it's going to continue that way for a little while. There's also part of me that I'm glad that there are no sporting events right now. That allows us to truly focus on this. Let's say there were basketball games coming up tonight. Let's say there were 10 baseball games. Let's say there were hockey playoff games. This would get, you know, suppressed. Now, you would have players who would probably do things in honor of George Floyd and Black Lives Matter during their games, prior to their games, what they would wear. But for the most part, we would be focused on the games themselves. Now, part of that, um, not by design, we are focusing more on these protests. Uh, McLevin, uh, what's your poll question? Here? Oh, uh, who's more likely to win the title, the Bucks or the Bucks? Uh, it's actually now it's like seventy-eight percent the Milwaukee Bucks. Okay, and that's when, that's the right answer. When are you going to be ready to dive into these matchups and sort of? You said, uh, but it's kind of fascinating. Aren't you curious? Are the, are we going to get a lot of upsets and weird things in the NBA? Or are they going to be ready to play? Or I have no idea. I have no idea. I uh, just found out Woj is not able to join us. I did want to bring up something. Uh, Woj is chasing a story. We want to be fair to him because he's been very generous with his time, but he's uh, working on something with the season coming back July 31st. Uh, Dave McManaman uh, from ESPN had some interesting things. We talked about this um, in the first hour, and these are just some of the proposal scenarios being discussed right now. It feels like everything's on the table. I don't know what's on the table, but it feels like we're getting information of what has been on the table. I get the feeling that the commissioner knows exactly what he's doing. And I've applauded him and being quiet about all of this. There's still going to be some leaks here. But for the most part, he went about three and a half weeks where there was not a lot of information that came out. They huddled up. They decided, you know, these are the scenarios. And, you know, that's subject to change here. Higher-seeded teams being awarded the first possession of the second, third, and fourth quarters. So you'd have the jump ball to start the game. Okay, I'm fine with that. You know, we're looking forward to how do I give you a home court advantage? If you have 15 more wins than the team you're facing, what is your home court advantage there? Because normally you'd be playing those games at home. An off-court feature has playoff teams in order of seeding, receiving the first choice on picking which hotel they will stay in. Higher seeded teams being able to transport their actual hardwood home court from their home arenas to Orlando to try to preserve the feel of a home court advantage. Doesn't seem cost efficient there. Higher seeded teams receiving an extra coaches challenge and also the higher seeded team being able to allow to designate one player to be able to be whistled for seven fouls instead of six before fouling out. These are just scenarios that are on the table there. I like picking your opponent. 
And I would love to have that where it's a made-for-TV event because that's what baseball is going to do if baseball comes back. You're going to be picking your opponent. I know it's sort of a one-year, let's see what are some of the ways that we can improvise here. I don't. I, I just worry that you get to the point where it's silly. Like the NFL has no reason to be toying with anything right now except for you want to do sky judge or reviewing pass interference. The onside kick, okay. The fourth and 15, I don't need it. Like I didn't say, man, you know what I'd love to have? More offense in the, uh, in the NFL. I would love to have onside kicks. The opportunity for an onside kick, old school way, and have the run up there, because you can't tell me the onside kick is more dangerous than the punt, the punt return. We've done our best to eliminate the kickoff, but the onside kick, you still need to have that element of surprise. But I don't need fourth and 15. Now, I'm very benevolent now. With everything that's going on, there's no games. I, I don't care what your rules are. Yeah, let's have it. Yeah, go out there. Oh, you want an extra foul? Yeah, you can have it. Give you the ball, second, third, fourth. Yeah, you can have it. I, I'm just, I'm desperate to have some action here with baseball, football, basketball, golf, whatever it is. I'm a, I'm a little more generous when it comes to them. All right, phone calls are welcome. Uh, Jim in Montana joins us on the program. Good morning, Jim. What do you have for me today? Good morning, Dan. Uh, just a little comment on Joe Lockhart and the, the Kaepernick situation in Minnesota. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to argue whether it was shallow or not. I, I personally think it was. But just logically, you've got Sean Mannion as your backup quarterback. Uh, wouldn't that make more sense to bring in Kaepernick and let him play backup? It's just the timing of it, Jim. And Joe Lockhart used to be the vice president of communications with the NFL, and he came out and said, Minnesota would be a great place for Colin Kaepernick. Yeah, Colin Kaepernick would be an upgrade over Sean Mannion. But you say that a month ago or two months ago or a year ago, not now. It just feels like we're, hey, this is a make good here. We're just going to trade off Kaepernick for what happened in Minneapolis. And that doesn't solve anything. If you want Kaepernick in there, then he hasn't changed ability wise in the last two months, three months, six months. Then you could have put him in there as your backup quarterback, but you chose not to. You can't go, Hey, and if I'm Colin Kaepernick, I'm going, no, I don't think so. You know, unfortunately, it's contrived. You know, Joe could have a good heart in saying, we made a mistake here, we blackballed this guy, but just to say, hey, would you go into Minnesota? Why not any place in the NFL? Why does it have to be just Minnesota? Then it feels like Colin Kaepernick is just a pawn here. And if your intentions are, let's do a make good, and it would make the most sense to have him in Minneapolis, okay, but it, from the optics don't look good at all here with that but we touched on it yesterday Kaepernick's not playing again you're just not you're not gonna be playing football again 16 after the hour coming up on 17 after the hour we'll get to your phone calls coming up also Major League Baseball has a proposal of how they're going to play and uh, we'll talk about that the regionalizing of baseball's schedule with the American League and the National League. Plus, here's another thing that I, not many people have talked about. When you do come back, there's going to be a DH in the National League and the American League. Therefore, when you're playing and you're playing, the Mets are playing the Yankees, 
everybody's going to have a DH there. You're not going to have to change if you go to somebody's park. Everybody's going to be having the DH here. So we'll talk a little bit about baseball with their plans coming up and your phone calls, 877-3DP-SHOW. We're back after this on the Dan Patrick Show. Thanks for listening to the Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, 9 to noon Eastern or 6 to 9 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. Find your local station for the Dan Patrick Show at foxsportsradio.com or stream us live every day on the iHeartRadio app, by searching FSR. We were going to have Adrian Wojnarowski on, but uh, he's working on a story. This is probably the story he's working on because he just tweeted this two minutes ago. Each of the 22 NBA teams will play eight regular season games in Orlando for seeding purposes for the playoffs, sources tell ESPN. Each team gets to play eight regular season games, and then all 22 teams are eligible and then they do that for seeding purposes. Now, once they're done with the eight regular season games with the seeding purposes, does that mean then you're going to have four te- eight teams, and 16, six teams that are going to not make it into the playoffs? Is, is that what we're talking about? So the seeding is where you get into the top 16 teams. Am, am I correct in that, Paul? It, yeah, Adrian hasn't elaborated, but basically... They're ending the season with eight games. Everyone's where they are now. There's 22 teams eligible. They're removing teams that are not eligible, like the Golden State Warriors or the Cleveland Cavaliers. But the 22 teams that are, you know, the 16 teams that already are in the playoffs, the next eight closest will play eight games. However, that when at the end of that, that is your 16-team playoff field. But all 22 teams play, each play eight games. Correct, according to Adrian Wojnarowski. Okay, and then yes. after that, we're going to have the seeding of the top 16 teams, and then the other six teams go home. It appears that way. Okay, that could change. Um, I saw with baseball's uh, proposal, there's a new proposal, this according to the Boston Globe. Uh, the proposal includes teams only playing opponents from their division and from the interleague counterpart. American League East teams will only play other American League East and National League East teams coming up in 2020. Teams will play in their home ballparks, but there won't be fans. Some teams will be forced to travel further than others. Obviously, you know, North-South travel from Florida to Boston and Toronto. The Texas teams to Seattle is a bit of a hike as well. Leagues would reportedly remain intact for the purposes of the standings. That means no 10-team divisions by region It'll still be the six divisions, American League, National League. That leaves the proposed seven playoff teams per league for the postseason, three divisional winners per league, four wildcard teams. They're going to go from 10 to 14 playoff teams. Still no word on how balanced the schedule is going to be and if it's going to be heavy on intra-division play. And part of the reason that the Boston Globe says they don't know about this yet is there hasn't been an agreement on a number of games to be played this season. All right. There's at least movement, positive dialogue. You still got to get to the elephant in the room, and that is how much are you paying them and how many games are you playing? Those seem to be the real, the real big issues here. And if you're Major League Baseball, you have to be looking around going, we are going to get buried NHL coming back, NBA coming back, golf coming back. I just saw where USC is planning on students coming back and football players coming back and a football season coming up this fall. Man, USC students, uh, USC said students will return for the fall. The LA Times wrote about the impact on football. 
school's athletic director said that uh, I'm convinced of that, believing that student athletes would be safer on campus than anywhere else. I think we can monitor that and do a great job of keeping them safe. I don't know how much it costs to monitor them, but we have to figure out how often we want to test for COVID-19. More importantly, we want to monitor groups of student athletes, uh, where they eat, where they work out, where they lift weights, where they live, dorm rooms, number of student athletes per restroom, all those different pieces of the protocols. It's extensive. Now, are they talking about just student athletes on campus? Because this says students returning in the fall, but then the athletic director talks about the student athlete here, McLovin. Students, I think... I'm almost sure USC announced they're bringing back students. Okay. The regular students. That was the big news story. This was a sub story of that. And is this because USC is a private institution, whereas the public institutions in California might not be able to do this? Uh, Doug in California joins us. Hi, Doug. What do you have for me today? Hey, good morning, Dan. How you doing? Good, sir. I am a huge fan of European soccer. So when the Bundesliga came back three weeks ago, I was obviously thrilled. Now, here's here's the point that I, I want to make. You know, the owners, uh, you know, the Bundesliga teams in the German Soccer Federation and, and all the players worked behind the scenes you know, to work out all the protocols, you know, the safety issues, the finances, the scheduling, everything. You've got... Uh, the Premier League in in Great in, in England coming back in a couple of weeks. La Liga in Spain is coming back. Serie A in Italy is coming back. How is it that all of them are able to work all of this out and successfully behind the scenes? Yet the U.S. professional sports leagues really don't have a clue. Well, I think they've had a little bit of a head start in Europe because they've been dealing with the pandemic and uh, they were hit earlier than us. Trying to get the number of players uh, be able to come back and the the testing that's going to be in place there. But it feels like they've had a better plan, but they've had a a plan that um, when you're working with everybody involved, you know, you're not going to have fans in the stands. You're just going to make sure that you have your players that are going to be safe here. And, of course, there's no celebration. There's, you know, even if you're on the bench, you're not sitting next to one another. It feels like that they understand what the safeguards need to be, and they've implemented those. And so far... So good. And the Premier League is uh, coming back, as you mentioned. The Bundesliga, you know, has been, been you know, back for a little while here, a couple of weeks. Yeah, Paul. The Premier League just announced a couple of minutes ago that they did a test this week of t- basically 1,200 players, staffers, coaches, etc. And there was one positive test. Last week they did a similar 1,200 test and there were zero positive tests. So they're doing this at basically every three or four days. I saw where the NFL's chief medical officer, David Sills, he's optimistic we're going to have football in the fall. He was on Adam Schefter's podcast. And he talked about football and physical distancing really don't go together. And the NFL is taking things a step further. But they're taking it a step-by-step plan here. And you're worried about conditioning drills when players can return. There's going to be testing. I told you the information I had from uh, somebody in the medical community working with the NFL, 60,000 tests are what are going to be needed. Uh, The uh, chief medical officer says, our job is to identify them quickly as we can and make sure we get those people appropriately tested, isolated from the rest of the team. Um, You know, this optimism has been there, but then it sort of wanes a little bit when something else comes up. But um, I saw where DeMora Smith, he heads up the NFL Players Association. 
He's optimistic about the season starting on time, but he said it's about a six or a seven on a scale of one to ten. That doesn't sound that optimistic if it's a six or seven on a scale of one to ten. It feels like the chief medical officer who works for the NFL sounds a lot more optimistic here. It's all subject to change. I think, you know, we've, we've noticed that people have made mistakes with this. NBA, go back to May 1st, back at the facility. Then it was May 8th, back at the facility. Here we are, we're going to have basketball maybe at the end of July, going into mid-October. Hockey coming back as well. Golf coming back. And that's why when you make these declarations where there's going to be football in the fall, we hope there is. But the medical community is still learning how this is, how it advances. Uh, you know, the, the uh, curve has now been greatly reduced here. The number of cases, all of these things. Then you have Major League Baseball worried about, do we have a boomerang? Does it come back in the fall? And if it does, if it wipes out the postseason, how much money will be lost then? Like, so there's so much involved with it. And I think the approach has always been, Cautiously optimistic is the best way to go about this. Baseball, they've gone about it in a wrong way because now it just feels like it's our side, your side, instead of how do we work together? You haven't heard any, you know, kind of uh, discord with the, uh, the NHL Players Association and ownership there. It feels like they are working in unison. NBA working in unison here. College football, NFL, you got to work in unison here to make this work. And I think that these leagues are just trying to figure this out. But they're figuring it out right in front of us. And it's not a good look for Major League Baseball because it seems very, very petty. Caleb in North Carolina joins us on the program. Hi, Caleb. How are you doing today? So, yeah, just wanted to get your take on with, obviously, as y'all were talking about, MLB, MLBPA and the players. Um, it just seems like a big disconnect there with the number of games and the prorated salaries. Owners are not going to go for that 114-game season. So do you think we might have a no season this year? And how does this affect fan interest going forward? Well, I don't know about fan interest, but Major League Baseball has to understand. Like, it just feels like this is a tenuous relationship. Like you, are we going to go steady again or we're just going to flirt with one another? We're going to date other people. We're going to see other sports leagues. That's the feeling I get here that Major League Baseball has to understand this. You could have taken advantage of this. You're letting your public. It, it's a private dispute that's been made public here, and it's not a good look for either side. Imagine if baseball was ready to play in the next two weeks. Just look at the, the, you know, the popularity that you could have. And people would rediscover the game. You're going to come back when you're going to have all these other sports leagues in full bloom. And your games are going to probably be meaningless. Because you're going to have just people saying NBA playoffs, NHL playoffs, golf's majors will be coming back, college football, the NFL, and then you're going to have Major League Baseball a sport that's really lost its identity as one of the big three. It is, but it's, you know, it, it, there's one and two, and then it feels like there's Major League Baseball. Just from 
how much information, how many headlines, how many stories, how many stars that we talk about, that we want to see. And baseball could have owned this. It could have been a real boom for them. And now, who knows when Major League Baseball comes back. Because I at least have a time frame for these other leagues. I don't with Major League Baseball. Yeah, Paul. I have much more from Adrian Wojnarowski on the NBA. I'm going to read it to you. You guys let me know if you understand. Um, each of the 22 teams will play eight regular season games in Orlando for seeding purposes, sources tell ESPN. The play-in format requires a double elimination format for the eighth seed, a single elimination for the ninth seed, per sources. Mm-hmm. Sources. Joining the 16-team playoffs in Orlando, uh, New Orleans, Portland, Phoenix, Sacramento, San Antonio in the west, Washington in the east, if the ninth seed is more than four games behind the eighth seed, the number eight makes the playoffs. Fewer than four games, it's a play-in tournament. I, I'm trying to stay with this one. Yeah. Well, you lost me. I'm reading verbatim. Yeah. I don't know why they need to make it so complicated. It's just, if I have all 22 teams, each playing eight games... And then that decides the standing. So I've given the Blazers, I've given Zion and the Pelicans a chance to make the playoffs. And then when you don't make the playoffs, then that's it. Then you go home. Those 16 goes home. You have 16 teams, and then you have a playoff series here. Play-in tournament in the NBA's 22-team format would be only for the eighth seed. If the ninth seed is four games or more back, eighth seed earns the spot. If ninth seed is four games or fewer behind, then there's a play in. Oh, Excuse me. Single elimination for the ninth seed, double in. No, no. Oh, yes, Tom. I'm confused for these last eight regular season games or whatever you want to call them. How do they decide who's playing who so that it's fair? As far as, is, is, I'm confused on how that works and how do they decide who's playing someone first or second as opposed to their seventh or eighth game when you're obviously you're probably improving by the time you get to your last couple of games as far as who your opponent is. Aren't I, I have no idea because you don't have the entire field in there. And if you'd said, let's just go back to the regular season schedule with the NBA, you may have a game against the Knicks. And the Knicks aren't involved in this, or Golden State's not involved in this. I don't know how they're picking the eight game. Oh, don't make it more complicated. Just give Portland a chance, or you want to give the Pelicans a chance, and then that's it. And, and you play your eight games, and then if you're not there in the top 16, then you don't get to play. Yeah, see. This feels a lot like there are people in a room, and somebody was like, all right, how about this? We'll do X, Y, Z. And somebody said, no, 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 how about this? And it was like sort of like, how about this? How about this? How? And then it all just got so much more complicated. <laughs> okay, now this is what it is. It's the ninth seed. It's fourth or over. Everybody agree? Oh, what? Gosh. The hell? Yeah, Paul. I also realize this means, barring uh, him coming back next year, that Vince Carter's career is over. Atlanta will not be making the postseason. And unless he plays another year, Vince Carter is done playing basketball. Yeah. Which yeah. is very sad. Yeah, Fritzy. I'm also confused. Have they officially decided if they're getting rid of the conference affiliations or they're trying to keep it? Has that even been established that it's going to be the top seeds in the East and the top seeds in the West or just the best 16 records altogether where the Lakers and Clippers could play in the finals? I think it's one through 16. It's just there. there's no East, East, uh, Eastern Conference, Western Conference designation. It's just top 16 teams. I, at least I assume it is. I mean, who knows? Don't make it more complicated than what it is. Eight games? Okay. 
Let's see how you fared in those eight games. Did you move up? Did the Pelicans slip into the eighth spot? All right, if they did, great. If they didn't, now can Washington fall out of their playoff spot? Okay. I know we're, we're talking about those on the outside trying to get in. Who is most vulnerable here? Because, you know, the Pelicans, I think, are three and a half games out. So if you have eight games, you can make up three and a half games. But could somebody be relegated here? Like, could this be the NBA's version of relegation? If all of a sudden somebody went on a hot streak and won six of eight games and then they knocked somebody out. It feels like, you know, that that's a uh, distinct possibility. Mark in Orlando joins us. Hey, Mark. Hey, Dan. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, I tell you, I just don't see this whole NBA thing working out down here. I've lived down here for years. I know that property. I don't care if these guys are housed at the, at, you know, the, the richest hotel down there that's guard-gated. These guys are going to be cruising all over town. There's going to be Limousine City. There are so many former athletes that have homes down here. NBA, NHL, you name it. They're all over the place. So I'm telling you, it's the worst-case scenario. They're going to be leaving those properties and going out and partying, and one guy gets sick, and then this whole thing blows up. Yeah, I don't know what safety precautions are in place there, Mark. Thank you. I I don't know if you have, like, security on the perimeter (laughs) that uh, you can't get in, but you can't get out. Yeah, Todd. You think they would or should have any type of curfew? You can't control what goes on, I guess, in hotel rooms, but maybe after a certain hour, asking them to do the smart thing and just not be out all hours of night just to get through the season as safely as possible? I, I have no idea. I may want them out of the hotel rooms, if you know what I mean. Yes, Seton. I'm not going all conspiracy theory here on you. But, okay? but right now, the eighth in the West, the Memphis Grizzlies, mm-hmm. they are currently 32 and 33. Mm-hmm. At 28... And 36, your New Orleans Pelicans. Mm. Exactly four games behind mm. the eighth seed Memphis Grizzlies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sure would be a shame if you came in ninth, Zion. <laughs> no, but then they make it. It's the top 16, isn't it? So I got, the, is, is the East set? Is anybody vulnerable in the East to uh, drop out of here? The top eight are set. Okay. They, they're going to make it no matter what. I think so, yeah. Okay. Yeah, Paul. I got a plan, and I think it's better. Let's take a break. It's not that good. (laughs) (laughs) Just that quick. Put the Lakers in the West and let the East (laughs) play to play the Lakers, and then we can all move on. Give people what they want. Put the Lakers in from the West, and then uh, let the East play for the— So we'd have 15 teams trying to— And just dub the Lakers in and just make it a marketing So the Lakers wait for 15 teams to play one another. That's right. They're not even the number one seed. L.A. just jumped on this idea. Everyone listening. Of course, they love that. Yeah, I'm all for that. Don't the Bucks have the best record, McLovin? Yeah. yeah. And by the way, the Brooklyn Nets beat the Lakers in the last game before the pandemic, and they are facing each other now in mm-hmm. L.A. Who's playing? For the Nets? Yeah. Nobody you know. Okay. Karis LeVert. <laughs> <laughs> you know. But they were playing Dinwiddie and LeVert. Dangerous. All right, we'll take a break. Last call for phone calls, what we learn, what's in store tomorrow. Final results of the poll question this day in sports history coming up next. Thanks for listening to the Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, 9 until noon Eastern, 6 to 9 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. And you can find us on the iHeartRadio app at FSR or stream us live every day at YouTube.com slash The Dan Patrick Show. 
Final results of the poll question. This day in sports history coming up. Dana White will join us tomorrow. Former Kentucky great NBA star Rex Chapman had an interesting column about what's going on in our country. We'll talk to Rex Chapman and hopefully Adrian Wojnarowski will be able to join us as well. McLevin, if you were going to recap the NBA news, how would you recap it? Oh, this is easy. They put out the, uh, the new format. Uh, joining the 16 current playoff teams in Orlando will be New Orleans, Portland, Phoenix, Sacramento, and San Antonio in the West and Washington in the East. Now, if the ninth seed is more than four games behind the eighth seed, number eight makes the playoffs. Fewer than four games, there's a play-in tournament. So using your standard algorithm, if the ratio is plus two between the seventh seed and the 12th seed, then the ninth seed plays the third seed in a best of three series. No, I uh, basically... No, no, I'm good. It's what Seton said. <laughs> if Giant gets within four games, I, they're going to give him more games. It I'm, is I'm hard. I know less than I did. Once he said algorithm, that kind of shuts it all down. All right, final results of the poll question then this day in sports history. <laughs> well, who's more likely to win the title, the Milwaukee Bucks or the Tampa Bay Bucks? 75% say the Milwaukee Bucks, although this new format might change that. <laughs> I have no idea. Uh -huh. This day in sports history, Paulie, what do you have? Dan, back in 1851, a baseball team, the New York Knickerbockers, their pro baseball team, became the first baseball team to wear uniforms. They wore straw hats, white shirts, and blue trousers, and they decided to do that every game so they would be distinctive to their fans. It's a pretty cool outfit. What did they wear before that? They just wore whatever they wore to the ballpark that day. No Teams didn't have uniforms. Hadn't been created as a concept. So you just showed up in... Yeah, like uh, jeans. Jeans or, and... You know, cargo shorts if they had them. I don't think they had cargo shorts. In the 1850s? I don't know. Checking. Uh, 2003, as we said before, Sammy Sosa, the Cubs, broke his bat when he grounded out against mm. the Tampa Bay Devil Rays. The bat was using was a cork bat. His explanation was... He used a cork bat in batting practice to put on a show for the fans, and then it got mixed in with his normal batting. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Mm -hmm. Guys treat their bats better than they do their wives. They know exactly what they're doing. I always thought that was a pretty good made-up excuse on the fly, though. It's not – he's not telling the truth, but it's a not bad made-up excuse. Well, when you say on the fly, it didn't fly. Right. But it was on the fly – you try to use putting on a show for the fans as the excuse. Which of course, is not bad. it's all. It's like when Andy Pettit said he used performance-enhancing drugs because he owed it to his teammates to come back from his injury. <laughs> I yeah. did it for you guys. <laughs> it wasn't for me. I did. Yeah. It for you. I didn't want to do steroids, but I did it just so I can go back and help you guys. I did it for the team. For my fans. yes, McLove. What was that pitcher who took out the sandpaper out of his back pocket? pocket and threw it out that was joe necro that was fantastic best moment of all time and he had a it was like a when you're filing your nails an emery board and and he like he <laughs> takes it out and then you just see it fly away like the light catches it so perfectly <laughs> as it's flipping away the umpire's from reaction as he's slowly moving his head watching it fall yeah. to the floor was yeah. the best how did that get my wife must have been wearing my baseball pants i didn't put that there no yeah, Paul. What I didn't understand about that, though, is how would he use the emery board between pitches? Would he take it out, scuff the ball real quick, and pop it back in the pocket? That seems pretty conspicuous. I don't know how he was scuffing. That's what I don't understand about that. The guys have scuffed before. A lot of times, you'll have the third baseman, or you'll have the catcher scuff. Because if I throw the ball around the infield, let's say somebody strikes out, I throw it to third base, he can, he can uh, scrape that. He can cut it for me and guys will take the eyelets you know the um when you have the glove at the bottom of the glove and then you could you could scrape it there a little bit 
you were looking for just anything that would help you. Catchers would use their shin guards where they would have something that was, you know, sticking out where you could just scuff it real quickly. But that one I didn't understand where he's got the nail file there and he just sort of <laughs> brings that his po- hands out of his pocket <laughs> like, see, I don't have anything. <laughs> and then it, it floats like a leaf down. How did this get here? Like he'd be like, go ahead, check my pockets. Nothing in there. <laughs> <laughs> let's go around the room what we learned on the program i'm going to start with you did you get all your this day in sports history paulie is that it yeah that's it oh okay uh todd what did you learn today clay thompson and kyle corver may be a bit too high on cbs's list of the all-time best shooters yeah i didn't get upset about it i just said i think to be a great shooter in the nba you should be able to get your shot and kyle corver couldn't get his shot and steve kerr couldn't get his shot I think being a good shooter is the ability to get a shot to shoot. Kyle Korver doesn't get a shot. I don't care how great a shooter he is. He's wonderful in warm-ups, but he's not getting a shot off. Yeah, the club. What if Michael Jordan had been number one on this oh, list? I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, then I would have been screaming. I would have been, oh, that wouldn't have been good. I'm surprised Jordan wasn't on there. They just gave you the top 15, right? Yeah. Okay. Maybe 16. Uh, McLevin, what did you learn? Yeah, Clay Thompson, number two on this list. All right. Surprised. All right. I'd, I'd like a little more with him, maybe 10 years in, but then I'd be saying the same thing about Steph Curry. Steph Curry's the greatest shooter of all time. Seton O'Connor. Just when I thought we had cleared ourselves of a list. I know. I know. Dangling. Paulie? Our buddy Dan Lebetard loved our what kind of boat would you want bit. <laughs> I know. That was great. That was great. Such an inside joke. What we learned brought to you by Traeger. Join the Traeger hood. Chase the wood fire difference by contacting your local dealer, visiting TraegerGirls.com slash DP show and do that today. Once again, Dana White tomorrow. Hopefully Adrian Wojnarowski will join us and former Kentucky great Rex Chapman. Have a great day. Talk to you tomorrow.